Father, we just thank you for your word. And uh, as we come to chapter 11 of Hebrews and we look at this, this uh, testing of Abraham and Sarah at the very latter part of their life, Lord, there's certainly some application here for all of us because, Lord, we know we're going to be tested over and over and over again in this life. And, Lord, uh, how we handle those tests uh, de uh, determines uh, how we honor you in our lives and, and how you're able to use us in our lives. And so, Lord, I just ask today that by the power of your Holy Spirit that uh, you, would, you would teach us the lessons that you would teach us today and, and uh, that we'll glean uh, the, the material we need to, to be better at facing the trials that, that we know we're all going to face in our lives. And so we just ask you to empower our lesson today by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, as I said, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Peter, and we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1. That's where we'll start today. Some of you might have heard the, about Boudreaux when he died and how when he died, he went to heaven. And when he got to heaven, he was met by St. Peter at the pearly gates. And St. Peter said, Boudreaux, before we let anybody in, we give them just a, he knew he was from Louisiana, so he really wanted to check this guy out. So he, so he said, we just give them, we give a basic test and that's all we do, you know, it's just to see that you've got enough common sense and enough knowledge about the word to get into heaven. And, and so it's nothing tough, so don't worry about it, I'm sure you're going to pass it. And so Peter says, sure, give me the test, I'm ready for it. St. Peter says, only three questions, so get ready for the test. And uh, he said, let me give you the first question. He said, name the days of the week that start with a T with a letter T. Y'all get that one? And Boudreaux thought about it a minute. He said, I know that. And St. Peter said, what's the answer? He said, today and tomorrow. <laughs> and St. Peter looked at him. He said, well, you know, that's not really the answer I was looking for, but Boudreaux, I, I mean, you're right. So I got to, you know, I got to give you credit for that question. And so he said, let me give you the second question. He says, how many seconds are there in a year? And so he told him, he looked, Boudreaux, if you need a piece of paper and a, and a pencil to calculate this, I'll give it to you. And Boudreaux said, hey, I don't need anything. I can calculate that right away. And so St. Peter said, okay, tell me how many seconds there are in a year. He said, there's 12 seconds in a year. And St. Peter looked at him, what do you mean 12 seconds in a year? He said, well, there's January the 2nd, February the 2nd, March the 2nd, and so on. He said, Boudreaux, he said, I, 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 you know, again, that's not the answer I'm looking for, but, but hey, it's not wrong. So, so far, I've, I've got to, you know, you, we're going to have to let you into heaven. But you got to get this last question right. You've got to get it right. Everybody's got to know this in order to get into heaven. And so he said, Boudreaux said, well, what's the last question? He said, what's the first name of God? And Boudreaux thought about it a second. He said, oh, I know that. And uh, St. Peter said, well, what is it? He said, Andy. Andy? Where did you get Andy? He said, well, you know that song we sing in church all the time? Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy calls me his own. I don't think Boudreaux made it in. You know what? I... 100% positive that there are not going to be any tests in heaven. If you make it, I've heard, I remember when I was in CWT, when I was in seminary, which is witness training, and they would 
taught us to ask that question, what would you do if God asked you, if you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? And I'm not going to go into the answer and what you should say, but, but uh, I know this, there, God is not going to ask us any questions. There's no test uh, that you take to get into heaven. You're taking those tests now. And, and your uh, interest into heaven is determined by what you believe about Jesus Christ. And if you believe the right way about Jesus Christ, don't worry, there's not going to be any tests when you get there. But the bad news is, or maybe the good news is, you are going to be tested on this earth. I mean, school's starting up and the teacher's already making out their tests, but, but let me tell you what, whether you're in school or not, everybody is tested on this earth. And, and how are we tested? I mean, as Christians, we're especially tested. How are we tested? What does God use to test us? Trials. Exactly right. He uses trials. Look at, look at 1 Peter, and that's why I told you to turn to 1 Peter. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and look at verse number 6. He says in verse number 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice. Now, that might, Peter might greatly rejoice, but he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved. Get, catch the paradox there? Rejoice and grieved? I mean, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. But here's why you rejoice. That the genuineness, the reason for the trials is this, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You understand what he's saying right there? If you pass the test, when you go through the trial and you pass the test, then your faith will be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's also to your honor to pass the test. So the reverse of that is this. If you don't pass the test, then you don't honor God and you don't honor God yourself. Well, let's go back to Hebrews, where, we, where we're going to be today. Hebrews chapter number 11, and we're going to be picking up in uh, verse, verse number 17, and we're going to look at this great test that was given to Abraham and to Sarah and to Isaac. Chapter 11, the whole chapter is about men and women of God who had real faith. They had real faith. And that when that faith was tested, it was found to be genuine. It was found to be more precious than gold. And so we've been, we've been looking at some of these men and women of faith, and we're going to be looking specifically today at the faith of Abraham and, and really the faith of Sarah and the faith of Isaac. And we learned last week when we were looking at this subject of faith, where, where these great heroes of faith got their faith. Where did they get their faith? Where did they get their faith? Did they just dream it up? I mean, did they just muster it up in their own strength? Where did they get their faith? They got their faith from God. 
God is the one who gives you your faith. And actually, let me, let me, let me pinpoint that a little bit. He gives you the seed of faith. He gives you, he plants, when you become a born-again believer, he plants a seed of faith in your heart. And, but God doesn't want that faith to remain a seed the rest of your life. He wants that faith to, to, to grow. He wants your faith to grow to where it permeates your whole life and it permeates your whole soul. In order to make your faith grow, in order to, 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 to give you what you need for your faith to grow, then he has to test your faith. And he tests your faith, and you answered it correctly a while ago. How does he test your faith? He tests it through trials. Well, last week, we began looking at the father of faith. We've been, we began looking at Abraham, uh, at, who was the father of faith, and we were looking at uh, his wife, Sarah. And you gotta, you got to give these guys credit. They had a lot of faith. How long did they have to wait before their promised child was born? How long did they have to wait? 25 years. That's a long time. I mean, and, and that child wasn't born until Sarah was 90 and Abraham was 100. And so they waited a long time for, to, to, to receive the promised child. Now, you would think if they waited 25 years and they were 100 years old, uh, almost 100 years, Sarah was 90 and Abraham was 100, you would, have, you would have thought that that was enough, that they didn't need to be tested anymore. But 30 years later, shortly before Sarah dies and, and not too long before Abraham dies, they God gives them their greatest test of all. You remember what, he, what the test was? He comes to Abraham. He comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, up on Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer him or sacrifice him as an offering unto me. Now you talk about a test. That was a test. In other words, Abraham, what I want you to do, I want you to take the most precious gift you've ever received from me, and I want you to give it back to me. That's really interesting to me that, that uh, God calls uh, Isaac Abraham's only son, his only begotten son. He had another son, didn't he? He had a son named Ishmael. But why, why wasn't Ishmael in the mix? Because Ishmael was a work of the flesh. Isaac was a work of faith. And so it was only the work of faith that God recognized. You see how important faith is? It's only your works of faith that God recognizes. He doesn't recognize your works of the flesh. And so it's really important to, to have faith. Now you, that, I can't think of a tougher test than what God gives them at this point. But you know what? God had been preparing them for this test all their lives through various uh, trials and testings. And, and some of them they had failed and some of them they had passed. You remember some of the tests that, that uh, Abraham and Sarah failed? They failed the very first test. God told them to leave the land of Chaldea and go to Canaan, to the promised land. And you know what they did? They stopped in Haran and settled down where his dad lived. And they waited there a while. And then finally they did leave and they went down to Canaan. And they weren't in Canaan long and there was a famine in Canaan. 
And you remember what they did during the famine? Did they trust God? Did they trust God to feed them and take care of them? No. They ran down to Egypt. And once they got down to Egypt, here was Sarah. Sarah's a 65-year-old woman at the time, but she had to be a knockout. I mean, can you imagine a 65-year-old knockout woman? And she was so good-looking that Abraham was afraid that Pharaoh was going to kill him and take her and put her in his harem. So what did Abraham do? He claimed that she was his sister. Actually, she was his half-sister. But he claims that she's her sister, and as soon as he makes that claim, what does Pharaoh do? He takes Sarah and puts her into his harem. Now, let me ask you a question. What if things had ended there? What would have happened to all the promises that had been given to Abraham? There would have been no Isaac. There would have been no Israel. There would have been no Messiah. Actually, there, it would have come another way, or he would have come another way, but, but not through Abraham. And so the whole thing was about to go down the tubes, and who rescued them when they, when they failed the test? God rescued them. So they failed that test. But, but then, you know, for 25 years, they waited, but not the whole time, did they? About midway, they got tired of waiting on God. And, and it was a test of patience, and they failed the test. What did they do? They, Abraham went into Sarah's handmaid and had a son named Ishmael, and they said, this will be the child of promise. And so they failed that test. And there was, a, there was another time, not long before Isaac was born, that they, there was another famine, and they got hungry again. This time, Sarah's 90 years old, and she's still a knockout. And they go down to Gerar, the, the, the land of Gerar, and they do the exact same thing. You'd think they would have learned their lesson. But he goes down to Gerar, and the king of Gerar is a guy named Abimelech. And Abimelech's got the eye for Sarah, and, and Abraham's afraid that he's going to get killed. And so he lies again and says, she's my sister. And sure enough, what does Abimelech do? He takes Sarah and puts her into her, into her harem. Now, this is just, just a few years or less than a few years from the time Isaac is born. What was going to happen to the promise if, if God had left things that way after they had failed that test? I mean, the promise would have gone down the tubes. I mean, Sarah would have ended up a harlot in the harem of, uh, of Abimelech, and Isaac would have never been born. But they, but, and they failed that test. But you know what? You've got to give them credit. In the end, they endured, and they finally did have the promised son, Isaac. Look with me in chapter number 11, and pick up down at verse number 11. We're going back a little bit from the text that we'll be looking at today. In verse number 11, it says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. After all that had happened, she still really deep down inside believed the promise. And so when Abraham said to her one night in the tent, Hey, let's try to have this kid. You know what she did? She received the strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged God faithful whom had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of, of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So, Sarah and Abraham had been tested many times. And, a, and a lot, most of the time, you know what? They failed the test. 
But in the end, they had the faith that it took to bear Isaac. Now, I learned something from that. Here's what I learned about testings from that. You're going to be tested. If you're a child of God, I tell you, you live in this fallen world, you're going to be tested whether you're a child of God or not. But those tests that have purpose, they come from God and they come to his children. You're going to be tested. And just because you fail the test, it doesn't mean that God is through with you. In fact, you're going to fail a lot of tests before it's over with. You know what he's going to do? He's just going to keep testing you and testing you and testing you until finally your faith is proven true. Why does he do that? So that you'll grow in faith. That, so that your faith will become more precious than gold. Now, here's the startling part, though. They finally have the child, Isaac, and, they're, and, and Abraham's 100 years old, and Sarah's 90 years old, and they had waited 25 years. They'd endured famine after famine. They had lived in tents. They had wandered around, and finally they have the child, and you would think that was enough. You would think that God was through testing them but he wasn't done testing them. I mean, he comes to Abraham again, as I said earlier, and he says, I want you to give that child back to me. Boy, you know what I learned from that? God, you have never arrived to where God's not going to keep testing you. And let me tell you what else I learned from that. Your last test might be the toughest test of all. And you can expect to be tested. So Abraham gets the order. You're to go and you're to sacrifice Isaac. And I have no doubt at this point, Abraham and Sarah were really close. I mean, Sarah's kind of out of the picture. When you look at this in Genesis 22, she's kind of out of the picture. But she's not really out of the picture. I'm sure Abraham went to Sarah and he said, she, Abraham said to Sarah, do you know what God has asked me to do? God has asked me to take our son, our only son, up on Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice to him. And I don't see anything in the text where Sarah screamed and said, you're not going to do that. I'm not going to let you do that. I mean, imagine the faith. We, we talk about the faith of Abraham. But imagine the faith that Sarah had to submit to such a test. So let's pick up the test, if you will, in, in verse number 17. Verse number 17 of chapter number 11 of Hebrews. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, and we're talking about with his greatest test of all, not when he was tested waiting on Isaac. We're talking about after Isaac is born. When, by faith when Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He offered him up, up on Mount Moriah, and he who had received the promises offered his only begotten son. You know what? Abraham, when God gave this order, Abraham's faith was there. He believed in God. And so he was ready to do exactly what God said. Why? Well, look at verse number 18. Of whom it is said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. No one else. In no one else. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. Well, I gotta, we gotta, that is a quotation from Genesis chapter 1 and 
you don't have to go there, but let's set the setting of what took place when, when God spoke those words to Isaac. All right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, to Abraham. Isaac had been born, and, and he was growing up, and Ishmael was on the scene, and Ishmael was harassing Isaac. And it really made Sarah mad. Sarah detested what she had done, what Abraham had done with Hagar. She was the one who, who prompted Abraham to do it, but once it had happened, she despised Hagar from that moment on. And so she comes to Abraham and she says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. And so Abraham, man, Abraham loved Ishmael. And Abraham, I think, cared for Hagar. And he said, you know, he said, what am I going to do? And so he went to the Lord and said, Lord, what do I do? Sarah wants me to cast Ishmael and Hagar out of the camp. And, and it, she doesn't care if they live or if they die. And God, you know what God says at that point, what we have quoted here in verse number 18. He says, do what Sarah says, because in Isaac your seed shall be called. Now, it's he's the child of promise, not Ishmael. It's through him that the nation of Israel will come. It's through him that the seed will come, through his seed that... that uh, the nations will be blessed by the coming Messiah. And so he's the child of promise. You remember the definition of faith we were given back in verse number 1? Look back in chapter 11, verse number 1. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Who's the substance? God's the substance. Jesus is the substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the things not seen are the promises. So what was the evidence to Abraham of the coming promises? Isaac. Isaac was the evidence. And if Isaac was destroyed, it would seem to me that the evidence would be destroyed. And so it seems to me that Isaac had to live. Now, if God had said, if God had only promised Sarah and Abraham, I promise you, you're going to have a son. And that's all he promised. Well, when God came to them and told them to sacrifice Isaac, man, they could have said, this is it. We're going to lose the son. I mean, we'll never see him again. And it would have made this that much more difficult on them, and I don't really know if they would have done it. And based upon the text, I don't think they would have done it. But that wasn't all that God promised. God promised them a son, and he gave them other promises that depended upon that son. He promised them that through that son would come the nation of Israel, and through that son would come the Messiah. So if he killed the son, then those promises would be void, and that would make God a liar. And what else have we learned from Hebrews? It is impossible for God to lie. And you understand what God had taught them through those 25 years of testing? That he did not lie. He did not lie. He told them when they were old people living in Chaldea, they were old people back then. He was 75 and she was 65, and he told them, I'm going to give you a son. And, and, and they said, okay, that's a good deal. We'll, we'll go wherever you tell us to go. 
And for 25 years, they waited on that son. And it seemed that maybe Sarah laughed. Remember when she, about midway she laughed when, when God renewed the promise? Because I don't think she really believed it was going to happen. But when that son was born, you know what they thought when they saw that little baby? God cannot lie. God is not a liar. Every promise that he makes, he fulfills. If he's made you a promise, he's not... He, he can't lie. It's impossible for him to lie. But you know what? It's not impossible for God to resurrect the dead. And you know what? Abraham knew that. Abraham said to himself, you know what? Yeah, he, I'll kill Isaac. I'll kill Isaac. But if I kill Isaac, God's got to raise him from the dead because all these promises aren't fulfilled yet. And so he concluded, look at verse number 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So he said to himself, even if I kill my son on the altar, God's going to raise him up or God's a liar. So he was willing to go through with the sacrifice because he knew that when he went up that mountain, somehow he was going to come back down with his son and his son was going to be alive and he was going to receive him it's really interesting here look at that vast last part of that verse 19 he would receive him in a figurative sense in a figurative sense that's just one word in the greek it's parabola parabola you know what english word we get from that parable he received him in a parable he received him as a type of something else that would take place later on. In other words, he was going to go up on Mount Moriah and he was going to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah and it was going to be a parable of something that was going to take, two, take place 2,000 years later on the same mountain, on the exact same spot. That's why he received him in a figurative sense. And so... We're told about that over in Genesis 22, and you can turn over there if you want to, Genesis 22. We're, all that happens in Genesis 22 is a parabola. It's a type of what happened to Jesus Christ. And it's a picture God uses Abraham here, and he uses his faith to paint this very vivid picture of what's going to take place some 2,000 years ago. Now, some, some 2,000 years in advance. So here's Abraham, and he takes Isaac up on Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. And, we're, and the story, as you go through the story, the similarities between the story of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac and God's sacrifice of Jesus Christ are absolutely striking. I mean, they are striking. Let me just give you some examples here. The, the first thing you look at, if you look in verse number 2, Abraham, God tells Abraham, take your son, your only begotten son, whom you love to Mount Moriah, and offer him in the place that I shall tell you. Does that remind you of anything? Does it remind you a little bit of John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. On Mount Moriah, by the way. 
that whosoever believeth him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's interesting if you look in verse number four that it was on the third day that Abraham lifted up his eyes and decided, now I'm going to make this sacrifice. It was on the third day because for three days, Abraham was excited on that third day. For three days, in Abraham's mind, Isaac was as good as dead. He knew he was going to have to kill Isaac, but he knew God was going to raise him up. It's just like Jesus was in that grave for three days, but the father knew that he was going to raise him up. And then Abraham, in verse number 5, tells his servants to stay back. I want you to watch from afar. You can't go with me because this is business between the father and the son. It's just like the cross. The cross was business. I mean, people stood from afar off and they watched, but they really didn't know what was going on because this was business between the father and the son. It's interesting in verse number 6 that Isaac climbed Mount Moriah with the wood for the sacrifice on his back, carried the wood on his back right up Mount Moriah. Just as Jesus marched up Mount Moriah with the wood of the cross on his back. And here's what's really cool. I mean, at this point, Abraham is 130 years old. Isaac is 33 years old. And Isaac does this willingly. He allows his father to take him up on the mountain. He's carrying the wood for the sacrifice on his back. And he says, Dad, where's the lamb? And he had to be thinking going up, maybe I'm the lamb. And he carries that, he carries it up willingly and he climbs up the mountain. He gets up to the mountain and he knows what his father's doing when his father binds him to the wood. And it willingly, I mean, he's a, he's a strong young man. His father's an old man. He could have stopped it at any time, but he doesn't. He allows himself to be bound to that wood and to be sacrificed to God. Does that sound a little familiar? Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to that wood. You think maybe he could have come down from that tree or he could have stopped them from putting those nails in? You better believe he could. He has, he's omnipotent. He has all the power in the universe. He could have stopped it at any moment, but he doesn't stop it. He willingly submitted to the Father and allowed himself to be nailed to that wood. It's interesting, I spoke of his age a while ago. Sarah was, we'll see it in the next chapter, or you, you would see it if you looked at the next chapter. Sarah was 127 years old when she died. She was 90 when Isaac was born. Uh, this was two or three years before that. So Isaac was somewhere around 33 years of age when this sacrifice was made. Sound familiar? Jesus was 33 years of age when the sacrifice was made. So they march up the mountain, and they come to a ridge on Mount Moriah, and they come to a spot, I'd be willing to bet you there's a skull there, the place of the skull. They come to a spot on Mount Moriah we know as Golgotha, and Abraham builds his altar, he places the wood in order, and he binds Isaac to the wood. And he takes the knife, and he pulls back the knife and stretches out his hand to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord, who's the angel of the Lord? Jesus himself. 
The angel of the Lord calls to him from heaven and he says, Abraham, verse number 11, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. Thank you, Lord, for calling me. And the angel of the Lord said, do not lay your hand on your son, for I know that you love me. You know, jumping ahead, it's when we pass those tests of faith that we truly show God that we love him. Faith, it's impossible to please God without faith. And love and faith go hand in hand. He says, so he says, now I know that you love me and fear me because you have not withheld your only son. Watch this, not from God. He doesn't say from God, although he is God. He says from me. Well, you know what the angel of the Lord is saying real loudly and clearly right there? I am God. I am who I am. Same angel of the Lord that appeared to Moses in the burning bush and said, I am who I am. I am the great I am. Before Abraham was, I am. None other than Jesus Christ. You, you, want to, you can see that a little clearer here as we, as we go on through the text. Look at verse number 13. We'll read together there. It says, Then Abraham lifted his eyes, and he looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh. You know, we trash that expression so bad when we start wanting a new home or a new Cadillac God. You hear these, I hear these health, wealth guys, these prosperity gospel guys talk about Jehovah-Jireh. He's going to provide you all that. Man, that's not what, that's, what's he going to provide? He's going to provide a sacrifice. He's going to provide a sacrifice on this very mountain. It is said today, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. 2,000 years later, it will be provided. I will, I will be sacrificed for you and for Isaac and Sarah and for all the sins of the world. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn. Who's the angel of the Lord? Says the Lord, Jehovah. By myself, the Lord says, the angel of the Lord says. It's the same guy, people. It's Jehovah God. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In your seed, you understand what he's saying right there? All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In your seed. Here's what the angel of the Lord said. In your seed, I will come forth. I will come forth to save you, Abraham, to save Isaac, your children of faith, to save Sarah, to save the world from their sins. You know what? It's really cool that Abraham could pass such a test as that. What a great privilege he got for passing a test like that. If he hadn't passed it, God would have still come to this world through somebody else. But in your seed, Abraham, I'm going to come, I'm going to, come to this world and I'm going to bless the nations. I'm going to pay for their sins. You know what? Oh, Sarah had some faith too, didn't she? And oh, Isaac had some faith too. To allow his dad to do that, man, he had to have some faith. 
Where did Abraham and Isaac and Sarah get such faith? It was a gift of God. The seed was planted by God. But God watered that seed. He watered it with their prayers. He watered it with their, his very presence in their life. He watered it as, he, as they were tested and, and he saved them. When they failed the test, he picked them back up. He watered it when he fulfilled various promises that he made to them. And, and he watered it as he tested them and tested them and tested them until their faith was refined like gold. And he did it all in love. And in the end, their faith was strong enough so that they were willing to do the unthinkable. See, that's why the author of Hebrews says in verse number 6 of chapter 11, it is impossible to f- please God without faith. Because how can you love someone if you don't fully trust someone? And how can you fully trust someone if you don't really love that person? And so the more and more their faith grew, the more and more their love for God grew. And the more and more they reached, came to the point where they loved the blesser as much as they loved the blessing. They loved God as much as they loved Isaac. See, that's why God's testing our faith. That's why God pushes us to extremes. He wants us to grow in love. Because as we grow in faith, we grow in love. What about you? Have you come to the point where you fully trust God? Will you really love God? I mean, I know we all sing about loving God, but do you really love God enough that you're passing some tests? A young student, I've shared with this with you before, but a young student came to Martin Luther uh, and said to him, Master Luther, I wished I loved God as you loved him, as you love him. And Luther answered and said, uh, Love him, you say. Sometimes I hate God. That was Luther. You know, if I'm honest with myself, there are times when I hate God too. Times when things don't seem to go my way. Times when things don't happen when I want them to happen. Times when I'm being tested and tested and tested. It's like, Lord, enough's enough. I'm tired of this. I don't really like you much when you do this to me. I know what some of you are thinking at this point. You're thinking, well, man, I never would be bitter towards God. I would never uh, think about even hating God. Well, if that's true, then you've passed the test. You've made it. Or 
you just haven't been really tested yet. And be careful with thinking you made it. Because if you think you've made it, those tests can get a lot tougher along the way. I've shared with you this story before, but let me share it with you again. Now, when I was at seminary, I took a workshop from a guy named Ron Dunn. And he wrote a book called, which was very, at the time, was on the you know, bestseller list for Christian books. Don't just stand there, pray something. Some of you might have read that book. But he did a workshop there at the seminary that, that lasted a week, and, and I took the workshop, and the first few days of the workshop were just, just man, it's just like, wow, just soaking this stuff in. This guy had this successful ministry over in, in, in Texas and this mega church, and he, he was telling us about the various little trials he had and how he got through those trials and, and how God had just lifted him up and, and just all the great things that were happening, all the people who were getting baptized, all the people who were getting saved, and I was thinking, man, what a great man of faith. And then on the last day of the class, he dropped the bombshell on us. He said, I was at my office one morning and I got a call, emergency call, and my teenage son had shot himself in the stomach with a shotgun, and he was dead. He said, I went home to a broken wife, to a a broken family to a dead son. And the only prayer I could pray at that point was, God, why? Why did you let that happen to my son? Why? I mean, all I'm doing for you, why? And he said he prayed that prayer over and over again, and God wouldn't answer the prayer. And he became bitter toward God. He said, I got to the point where I hated God. He said, I became a hypocrite. I, went in, I wasn't even praying, and I would go into the pulpit week after week after week, and I didn't even want to speak to God. And he said it wasn't until a year or so later that he had all sorts of opportunities to minister to Christian parents whose children had committed suicide. It was at that point he said that I could finally realize why God had allowed such a terrible thing, terrible tragedy to take place in my life. Son, shoot himself. Man, can a test get any tougher than that? Man, I couldn't imagine that. And you know, since I shared that story with you a few years back, Ron Dunn died, and he, let me tell you how he died. He had a cancer, a terrible cancer, slow-moving cancer. It took five years for that cancer to kill him. And yet, the whole time, he was praising God. He was doing his ministry. And he wasn't pretending anymore. He wasn't pretending to love God. He wasn't playing the hypocrite. Because God had built his faith. And he had made his faith a genuine faith. You know, something I've learned about my faith over the years is it's pretty weak. It doesn't take much of a trial to get me to become bitter towards God. 
But you know what the good news is? When I fail those tests, God's just going to keep right on testing me. Even if you pass them, he's going to keep right on testing you. You know why he's going to keep right on testing you? Because if you've got a weak faith, he wants to make it a strong faith. And if you've got a strong faith, he wants to make it a stronger faith. I mean, your, la your last test might be the greatest test of all. He wants us to have genuine faith. Faith is precious as gold. Because the more faith we have, the more we believe him, the more we love him. And the more we lo truly love him, the more he can use us as a light in this dark and dying world. So cheer up if you're being tested. Cheer up. Hey, Paul says, uh, Peter says, rejoice, even though you're being grieved. Even though you grieve over the trials, rejoice that God's doing something really wonderful in your life. He's going to make it to where you truly, when you see him, you, you won't, you'll know his name's not Andy. <laughs> you'll know him as Jehovah Jireh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and just the blessing that, that we're privileged to know the angel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the fact. Now, we, I don't, it's hard to thank you for the trials and testings, Lord, because they're tough sometimes. But we do thank you that we know that all things work together for the good of those that Love you and are called according to your purposes. So, Lord, you mean well for us in these trials. You mean good for us in these trials. Lord, help us to see that as we go through the trial. Help us to pass the test, Lord. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge and love for Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.